Previously in the life of David, remember where we were. Saul was the king and David had been anointed to replace him. Because of that, Saul is jealous. Saul is angry. Saul is frustrated. All of the people love David. David is the big man on campus. David is the guy with the letterman jacket with all the patches on it. David is the guy that all the cheerleaders are following around all the time. That's David. And Saul used to be that guy. And now he sees this. And he is incredibly frustrated by this. And the Lord has taken his spirit away from Saul. And instead, he has sent an evil spirit to torment Saul. And whenever Saul is being tormented, he begins to lose it. He lets his emotions take control of his life. At least three times now, he has personally tried to kill David. And he has put a contract on David's head. So now everybody is trying to kill David. And David is on the run at this point. David had to leave town. He had to leave his wife behind. He had to leave his friends behind. He had to walk away from his role in the army. He had to, um, he had to leave his place in the palace, in the royal court. He, he had to actually relocate his parents so that Saul would not take his parents and try to use them as a way to get to David. Um, he has been living in foreign lands. He's been bouncing around from place to place. And he is constantly relocating because there are spies who are ratting him out to Saul. Why would they do that? Because there's a price on his head. Saul is willing to pay um, uh, very well for anybody who will lead to the capture and death of David. Now, what's been happening during this time is that there's this group of guys that are, good, that are beginning to join David in the wilderness, and they're starting to follow David. At first, there was 10 or 20 of them. These guys are outcasts. They're, they're people who, who maybe uh, uh, have debt that they're running from. There are people maybe who, who are outside of the law, and therefore they're trying to get away, and they're, they, they keep coming to David. Some of them are just people who go, you know what? Saul is not my king. David is my king. I'm going to follow David. But essentially, there's this ragtag group of outlaws that are beginning to follow G uh, David. 10, 20, 50, 100, 200, 300. Pretty soon, we get to where there are 600 men following David. So David is bouncing around trying to stay out of sight, and yet there's this large group of guys with him all the time. And if you're picturing, you know, you're thinking, well, this is David, this godly man. This is probably like a Sunday school class of guys that are following him, right? No, this is more like a motorcycle gang. These are guys who wear leather jackets. These are guys who have tattoos across their face. These are tough guys. And they're with David all the time. And David now has to take responsibility for them. He's having to find a way to provide for these guys. He's having to find food and water and shelter in the wilderness for this large group of men. But he keeps them with him because he knows that when Saul sends guys, he's sending a lot of guys. And so David is sort of developing his own little battalion out here in the wilderness and they're always on the move. <clears throat> and that's where we pick up the story in 1 Samuel chapter 23. So take your Bibles, go to 1 Samuel 23. And we're going to pick it up right in the middle of the chapter in verse 15. And I'm just going to read you the whole section. And then we'll come back and talk about it a little bit. 1 Samuel 23, 15 begins like this. Now David 
became aware that Saul had come out to seek his life while David was in the wilderness of Ziph at Horesh. And Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David at Horesh and encouraged him in God. Thus he said to him, do not be afraid, because the hand of Saul, my father, will not find you, you and you will be king over Israel, and I will be next to you. And Saul, my father, knows that also. So the two of them made a covenant before the Lord, and David stayed at Horesh while Jonathan went to his house. The, then Ziphites came up to Saul at Gibeah, saying, Is David not hiding with us in the strongholds of Horesh on the hill of Hakalah, which is in the south of Jeshimon? Now then, O king, come down according to all the desire of your soul to do so, and our part shall be to surrender him into the king's hands. Saul said, May you be blessed of the Lord, for you have compassion on me. Go now, make, make sure and investigate and see his place where his haunt is and who has seen him there, for I am told that he's very cunning. So look and learn about all the hiding places where he hides himself and return to me with certainty, and I will go with you. And if he is in the land, I will search him out among all the thousands of Judah." Then they arose and went to Ziph before Saul. Now David and his men were in the wilderness of Maon in the, uh, in the Arabah in the south of Jeshimon. When Saul and his men went to seek him, they told David, and he came down to the rock and stayed in the wilderness of Maon. And when Saul heard it, he pursued David in the wilderness of Maon. Saul went on one side of the mountain, and David and his men were on the other side of the mountain. And David was hurrying to get away from Saul, for Saul and his men were surrounding David and his men to seize them. But a messenger came to Saul, saying, Hurry and come, for the Philistines have made a raid on the land. So Saul returned from pursuing David and went to meet the Philistines. Therefore they called the place the Rock of Escape. David went up from there and stayed in the strongholds of Engedi. Okay, that was a bunch. Um, here's the thing. I want you to pick up. It's starting to look bleak for David. And what does God do? God sends Jonathan. Jonathan finds David and he goes to where David is. And verse 16 says this, he encouraged him in God. Guys, never underestimate the power of encouragement. First of all, don't forget what the word encourage means. To encourage someone is not just to put an arm around them and say everything's going to be okay. It's not just to pat them on the back and say they're there. It's not just to understand what they're going through and to tell them, don't worry, you can do it. To encourage someone is to infuse someone with courage. Jonathan goes to David, who is understandably shaking in his boots because he's being surrounded by these armies, and no matter what he does, he can't seem to get away, and no matter what happens, Saul won't let it go. And so he keeps coming after him and coming after him and coming after him, and Jonathan comes along, and it says he encouraged him, and don't miss those last two words, in God. Those are words worth underlining and highlighting in your Bible. He encouraged him in God. He didn't tell David how great David was. Don't forget, David, you, you took on a giant. You can easily wipe out an army. Don't forget, David, you got all those Philistines killed. You could easily wipe out an army. He doesn't tell him that. 
He doesn't minimize the struggle. He doesn't say, oh, it's no big deal. Just buck up. You'll be fine. He just reminded David who God is and what God had promised. He encouraged him in God. He pointed David to God. Don't you sometimes just need somebody to encourage you in God? Don't you just sometimes need somebody to come along and and not make light of the situation, not minimize what's going on, understand the pain that you're in, and then say, but I want to remind you who God is. We need to encourage one another in God. It's just a small verse in the middle of this narrative, but I think it is absolutely crucial. And what you'll find as this story is unfolding is that this is Jonathan's role in David's life. He does it again and again and again. He realizes that God has called David and not him to be the next king. And so he says to himself, how can I get involved with what God is doing? How can I come alongside of David? How can I infuse him with courage? How can I encourage him in God? And sometimes all we can do is pray for somebody and encourage them in God. Remember, David would go on to write the famous 23rd Psalm. He says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. He he understood that God was with him. That was his source of courage. Sometimes we just need to be reminded that even in the dark times, God is with us. That's the number one thing that I'm praying for people when they're grieving. It's the number one thing that I'm praying for people when they're in an extended hospital stay. It's the number one thing that I'm praying for parents when their kids are going through really hard things and their hearts, their parents' hearts are breaking. I am praying that they would see God in the midst of it. Because no matter how dark situations get, God never disappears. You may lose sight of him. You may be so uh, caught up in the circumstances that you can't even see God from where you are. But let me tell you something. God can see you. He's always, always there. David doesn't pretend that we don't walk through valleys of the shadow of death. He says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I am not afraid. Why am I not afraid? Because you're with me, God. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I'm going to hold your hand. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to keep my eyes on you. Because when we keep our eyes upon him, everything else fades away. We need to be encouraged in God. And sometimes we just need to be reminded that even when it's dark, God is with us. And by the way, this is not just an overview of First and Second Samuel. This is an overview of the life of David, right? And intertwined in this story, as the story is unfolding, what is David doing with every spare minute that he gets? He's writing. He's writing songs. And those songs have become known to us as the book of Psalms. Most of the book of Psalms was written by David. These are songs that he wrote. Most of those songs that he wrote, he wrote during this time in the wilderness, It's fascinating to realize that. Now, let's just look in the book of Psalms for a second. Go to the middle of your Bible and find Psalm 27 with me. We're going to look at a couple of Psalms today. And with this perspective of the story unfolding, this Psalm should make even more impact on us. Psalm 27, beginning in verse 1. David writes, 
The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? When evildoers come upon me to devour my flesh, my adversaries and my enemies, they stumbled and fell. Though, though a host encamp against me, my heart will not fear. Though war rise against me, in spite of this, I shall be confident. One thing I have asked from the Lord, and I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, and behold the beauty of the Lord, and to meditate in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will conceal me in his tabernacle." In the secret place of his tent, he will hide me. He will lift me up on a rock. And now my head will be lifted up above my enemies around me. And I will offer in his tent of sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. Be gracious to me and answer me. When you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, O Lord, I shall seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my help. Do not abandon me nor forsake me, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me up. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead us in a level path because of my foes. Do not deliver me over, the, over to the desire of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and such as breathe out violence. I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. We don't know exactly when David wrote this psalm, but I would not be surprised to find out it was right as Jonathan was walking away that day after encouraging him in the Lord. It is so necessary for us to get our eyes back on God whenever we possibly can in the midst of these troubles. Listen, you may go, well, what does this have to do with me? Well, you may not be running from a murderous king. You may not be sleeping in caves right now and foraging in the desert for food, but I bet sometimes you feel like it. I, I, I bet sometimes you can relate to what David is going through here. Some of us right now today are going through serious trials. Some of us right now are having to, by faith, simply believe that God is with us because our circumstances are blocking our view of him. Yeah. And, and right now, some of us are going through medical crises, and we don't know if we're coming out of the other side of it. Some of us right now are going through financial trouble that we have no idea how it's going to get resolved. Some of us are having relational issues. Some of us are in our careers really struggling right now, and, and work is just a headache and a heartache for us every day when we go, and we have no idea how we're going to get out of this. I don't know what you're going through right now, but let me play the role of Jonathan in your life for just a minute. Let me remind you that although your circumstances change, although your moods change, although the people around you are constantly changing and you, you never quite know exactly what to expect from anybody, sometimes people let us down. But let me tell you this, God never changes. Amen. 
He's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And so if you, like all of us, have from time to time put your hope in something other than God, if you put your your stability in another human being, if you've thought that somehow your your career or your finances or your friends or something were going to carry you through only to be deeply disappointed when that didn't happen, if you had dreams when you stood at the altar and got married and you thought, man, this is going to be great only to watch it crumble, if you prayed for your children and watched them grow up and walk away from God and you shake your head and wonder what in the world is going on, if you've been through a medical crisis where you lay in a hospital bed and you don't know if you're coming out, I want to remind you of something. God never changes. And just as we sang today, he is good. He's good all the time. We can count on him. We can look to him. We can hold his hand. He will comfort us in the valley of the shadow of death. So no matter what else changes, you can count on God. You may be walking through a very shadowy valley right now, but look up. God is with you. You don't have to fear. The enemy may be tempting you. He may be lying to you. He may be trying to catch you up in a trap, but look up. Greater is he that is within you than he that is in this world. So let me encourage you in God. Your salvation can be found in no one else. Go back sometime and just read Psalm 27. This is a psalm that's worth memorizing. He's our hope. He's our salvation. He's our deliverer. He's the one in whom we can be confident. Stop looking for your hope under every rock. Because you know what? There's one who is the rock. And his name is Jesus. And he's your only hope. One more psalm from David before we move on and get back to the story. Go to Psalm 121. Just a few pages to your right. Psalm 121. And I'm going to read you the whole psalm again, but this is a shorter one. Psalm 121, verse 1. I will lift up my eyes to the mountains. From where shall my help come? Remember what it said? It said that that Saul's army was on one side of the mountain and, and David's army was on the other side. By the way, when it's talking about this valley of Engedi where he's at, and it's using the word mountain, if you're thinking of Mount Baldy or you're thinking of the, the Sierras, you got it all wrong. These are hills. They call them mountains, but they're hills, they're cliffs. It's more of a desert kind of a region. And, and so when it says that that Saul's army is on one side and David's men are on the other side, you're picturing, oh, well, that's great. The mountains in between, it would be no problem. No, no, no. They can probably hear each other marching from there. So that the army is encroaching upon them and, and David looks up to these hills and he says, well, I, I'm, I'm hiding behind the hill, but that's not where my hope comes from. Where does my hope comes from? I will lift up my eyes to the mountains. From where shall my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made the heaven and the earth. He will not allow your foot to slip. 
He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun will not smite you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will protect you from all evil. He will keep your soul. The Lord will guard your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forever. I look up to the mountains. Where does my help come from? It comes from the one who made the mountains. And if he can do that, he can take care of me. Now, where were we in our story? Oh yeah, David and his guys, they're hiding in these caves, right? And they're running from Saul. But David's hope has been restored because Jonathan came along and encouraged him in God. And now chapter 23, back to chapter 23, as it comes to a close in 1 Samuel, um, it tells us at the end of the chapter that Jonathan has encouraged him. And as the chapter closes, Saul and his men turn back from pursuing them, right? Because there's this crisis. Isn't that interesting timing? Isn't that interesting? Right as it gets to the point where they're surrounded, then the word arrives then and says, hey, just coincidentally, the Philistines picked right now when your best men were gone to attack the city. You better get back here. And they go back because they have to deal with the crisis at home. And David and his men are saved. And that's what happens as we get to the close. It's almost like David had someone looking out for him. Who knew? Where does my help come from? It comes from the Lord. That brings us to chapter 24. And as we begin chapter 24, look at verse 1 with me. Now when Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, saying, Behold, David is in the wilderness of Engedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the rocks of the wild goats. You know, the rocks of the wild goats, right? That's where they were. Anyway, how many men does David have? 600 dudes with no training, no weapons, nothing. Saul picks the 3,000 special forces guys in his army, and he says, come with me. So he's being, he's being pursued by army rangers and navy seals, and he's got this group of guys coming around behind him that are from different places, speaking different languages, having no training whatsoever. And that's 3,000 to 600. Verse 3, he came to the, sheephold, the sheepfolds on the way where, he was, uh, where there was a cave. And Saul went in to relieve himself. Now David and his men were sitting in the inner recesses of the cave. I can't just skip by this verse and not talk to you about it. <laughs> it's pretty interesting. It, it's my, New American Standard says Saul went in to relieve himself. The, the literal translation is Saul went in to cover his feet. Which means that Saul went in to squat down and let his clothing cover his feet. Saul had to 
relieve himself. He went away to a private place. He went into a cave where he would have some privacy. None of his bodyguards were with him. None of his soldiers were with him. He goes into the cave to relieve himself. What he doesn't know is that deeper in the cave, and by the way, these caves of Engedi, you should look it up on the internet. It's fascinating. These caves of Engedi, as you stand, there's like these hills and these cliffs, and you just see these openings of caves, and there's this massive cave system where literally thousands of people could live inside of those caves, and there's water there. So David and his men are hiding out in those caves. It's very much like what we saw on the news when we were fighting the Taliban in Afghanistan. You you may be an incredibly well-trained army. You may have all the weapons. But if the locals know the places to hide, it's very difficult to win that war. And that's exactly what was happening. And so Saul says, okay, you guys stay out here. I need some privacy. He takes a copy of the Jerusalem Gazette and he heads in to relieve himself, right? And he's in there doing his business and uh, David and his men are deeper in the cave and they see him come in and they know what's happening and they're all just being really quiet. And Saul is all by himself, completely unprotected. Now, he has tried to kill David on numerous occasions, and he's only there in the first place so he could kill him that day. What should David do? What would you do? Remember that Jonathan recently encouraged him in God. He recently encouraged him in God and he reminded him that God would absolutely keep his promise to make David the king. That was Saul, I mean, that was Jonathan's encouragement. He said, you will surely be the king. Why? Is it because you're so cunning? Is it because you're so powerful? Is it because you're so brave? Is it because you're so worthy? No, it's because God can be trusted and God has made this promise. And when God makes a promise, it's as good as done. And so you don't have to worry. You don't have to fear. And you don't have to fight for yourself. God is going to make you king. And he's just had this encouragement when this opportunity comes to him. And he reminds him that it's not going to be about him. And it's not going to be about his power. And it's not going to be about his cunning. It's going to be about his God. God is going to do this. And so look at verse 4. The men of David said to him, Behold, this is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I'm going to give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it seems good to you. Then David arose and cut off the edge of Saul's robe secretly. I'm trying to picture this. I really don't want to picture it that vividly. But David sneaks up from behind something And there's Saul's robe laying to the side, and he just cuts off a piece of it with his knife and takes it away. And his men are saying, listen, this is your opportunity. This is your moment. He is completely unprotected. He is unarmed. He's not even dressed. He is not ready to fight. Except these guys don't know what David knows. They weren't there when God chose David to be king and spoke a prophecy through Samuel and said, you shall be a ruler in this land. These guys meant well, 
but they didn't really understand what God had already said and what God had already done. David did not need to assassinate the king in order to advance his own interest. He just needed to put his trust in God. And so he's got all these men who are counseling him. Hey, take your shot. Take your shot. You want me to kill him? I'll kill him right now. And he has Jonathan encouraging him in God. Remember what God has promised you. How do you make your tough decisions? Whose whose counsel do you listen to? Who do you go to for advice? Well-meaning friends or the word of God? Now, a hundred years ago, I used to be a youth pastor. And when I was a youth pastor, the thing that always struck me, um, and I say this with complete respect, but the thing that always struck me was I never understood junior high girls. I didn't understand them when I was in junior high, <laughs> and I didn't understand them when, they, when my daughters were in junior high. I never, never understood junior high girls. There's no point in time in a person's life where there is more drama than the junior high years for young ladies. And, and the thing that always struck me was that as they would go through these crises in their lives, they would seek counsel. Who did they seek counsel from? The other junior high girls. That's where they took their counsel. And, and they, they had adults who were building into their lives, and they had pastors they could go to, and they had the word of God. But what they did was they went to their friends because that's who you treasure the most when you're a teenager, and that's who you look to for a validation. And they would go to their friends for counsel. Guys, I can use that example. We can all look back and laugh, but guess what? We're, we're guilty of doing the same thing. We go for counsel to whomever we think will tell us what we want to hear. David had two different groups of counselors. He had Jonathan, who was encouraging him in God. And he had these men who were used to taking matters into their own hands. And they were telling him one thing, but God was telling him something else. When we let our friends or our circumstances or the latest uh, pop psychology book or Dr. Phil or Oprah or whoever it is that we're getting our counsel from, when we let them be our counselors, we are missing the opportunity to put our trust in God. Remember what it says in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding, and I would put in, or your friends. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. I'm not saying don't go to your friends. I'm saying that let your friends who encourage you in God be the ones to whom you're listening. Well, David decided to trust God to deal with Saul. He didn't lean on his own understanding. He chose to believe that God would accomplish his will without David having to assassinate the king to do it. So he cuts off the edge of Saul's robe and he lets Saul go ahead, finish doing his business. And after Saul had left the cave, David goes out and shows him what he has done. He says, hey, look at your robe. He looks down and sees the piece is cut off and David holds up the piece and says, this is how close I was to you right now. I could have killed you, but I didn't because God has anointed you to be king and I trust God. 
And Saul realized at that moment that he wasn't just fighting against David, he was fighting against God. And so he decides to strike a deal with David. Skip down to verse 20 in 1 Samuel 24. Now, behold, this is Saul speaking. Now behold, I know that you will surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hand. So now, swear to me by the Lord that you will not cut off my descendants after me. Whenever a new king would take the throne, the first thing they would always do was wipe out every descendant of the previous king so there would be no one with a rightful challenge to the throne. Saul knows this, and so he says, when you become king, I'm asking you to swear to me before God that you will not wipe out my descendants. And uh, he says, so now swear to me by the Lord that you will not cut off my descendants after me and that you will not destroy my name from my father's household. David swore to Saul and Saul went to his home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. And by the way, David makes this vow and he will fulfill it later. And we'll talk about that. But Saul had come to the point where he was willing to relent. Why? Because Saul's decisions were driven by his circumstances. His decisions were driven by his emotions. He did the right thing sometimes and the wrong thing sometimes, all depending on how he felt. And David and his men continued to live in the wilderness while Saul went back to the palace to go about kingdom business. And so as we sort of wrap this up today, I just want to encourage you in God. I want to be Jonathan to you. I want to say to you, I don't know what you're going through. I don't know where you're at right now, but I know this. God is still God. God is not finished with you yet. God has not written the last chapter of your story yet. God is always faithful. You can trust him. You can take him in his word. Now, you don't get to put words in his mouth, which is what we sometimes do. Well, you know, I just had this feeling that God was promising me that I was going to get this promotion. No, 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 I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when God's word promises us things, God always keeps his promises. And we could trust in him. You can trust him. You can take him at his word. Your help does not come from the hills. Your help comes from the one who made the hills. He can change your life if you'll trust him with everything. So I'm going to wrap with this. Two quick words of application. Believe me, they're quick. When in trouble, turn to God. I don't care how dark it gets. God is with you in the valley of the shadow of death. You need to turn to him. He alone is your hope. Your friends might mean well. The people around you might mean well. But unless they are encouraging you in God, then all their well-meaning advice is really just a human opinion about the way things ought to go based on minimal understanding. We need to turn to God. We've got to turn to him in prayer. We've got to turn to his word for direction. And when we do, he will come through. That's number one. When in trouble, turn to God. Number two, let your actions reflect your faith. What I mean by that is act like you really believe God. Act like you really believe God. Don't just say you believe him and then act as if what he said is not true. Act like you really believe God. Put your faith into action. Take 
that step of faith. I know it's scary. I know you're not sure how it's going to go. But if God has spoken from his word to tell you what you need to do, you've got to trust him enough to do it. He has more interest in your life succeeding than you do. Trust God. Put your faith into action. Let God show himself strong in your life. Not only will God make your path straight, but he will use you as an example to others to show himself strong so that they will put their trust in him as well. You may be in a valley right now. You may be in a cave. But wherever you are, I promise you, God has not abandoned you. God is with you. And so follow the words of the song. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Let's stand together and pray. Father, we come before you today as those who are desperately in need of you, just whether we realize it or not. Some of us are riding high and things are going so well in our lives right now, and our temptation is to ignore you and think we can handle it. Some of us are struggling right now, and our, our circumstances are just encroaching upon us, and all we see are shadows, and our temptation is to turn away from you and blame you for our circumstances. And so now, God, in the midst of that temptation, we come to you and we say, we choose to act in faith. Encourage us in you, God. Help us, Father, to rise up and trust you. Help us to walk with you in obedience. We pray, God, that whatever might be going on in our lives, that we would let you handle it and we would just obey you in the midst of it. We thank you that we can trust you for this. We look to you for the peace that comes when we put that trust in you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.